0: Welcome to The Blockchain VC, a podcast about crypto and the digital assets ecosystem. My name is Tomer Federman, and I'm the managing partner at Federman Capital. We invest in the most promising blockchain startups across the globe. I have more than 15 years of experience in tech, and before starting the fund, I was on the product side at Facebook, where I led product strategy and global growth of some of Facebook's major ad products. Previously, I also lived in Silicon Valley for a few years, where I attended Stanford Business School. You can find me on Twitter at Tomer Federman. Before we begin, please note that this podcast is for informational purposes only, and all the opinions expressed on this show, either by guests or me, do not reflect the opinions of Federman Capital. Nothing on the Blockchain VC podcast represents an investment or financial advice. Please, do your own research. Also. If you like this episode of The Blockchain VC and want to help us bring more awareness to the space, I'd really appreciate it if you can rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. This only takes a few seconds and helps us get the word out. Okay, let's do this. My guest today is James Roy Poulter, CEO of The Reserve. Hey, James. Really excited you joined today. Thanks for coming on. No, thank you so much for having me. Pleasure to be here. Cool. Um, so maybe to kick things off, we'd love to kind of hear more about your uh, background and, you know, how, how you got into the space.
1: Sure. Um, so, yeah, a bit of a strange journey. Uh, I guess actually I like to say that I'm a philosopher or at least a thinker at heart. Um, so I studied philosophy at university, but actually very much went to university to get a job. So worked at Accenture, EY and other places, even in my first, second year. Ended up taking the grad scheme at Ernst and Young, um, so became a chartered accountant and um, was spending my time sort of moving people, capital, and companies around the world, sort of effectively playing a game of, you know, I guess like arbitrage between you know national and local rules with global organizations um it's a very fair unfair competition um but so yeah i had a, had a good little stint there at ey for a few years um then left and taught myself to code um wanted to be in tech and just wanted to make sure i understood what was happening properly um did that informally kind of just teaching myself um like i i literally sort of like jetted off to like istanbul for two months and then beirut for two months and just and just sat around teaching myself. I wow. um, then did a, um, yeah, just, you know, when, when, when London's expensive, right? London's expensive. So um, right. you know, It's uh, if you want to lower the burn rate um, and get away from people, you know, and just have a place that you can just concentrate and get stuff done. Um, yeah, I, I cleared out to, uh, cleared out to. Right i then actually took a program called um like uh, yeah this must be six years ago now like a general assembly ran like a thing called web development immersive it's like a 12 week long you know 80 hours a week learning to code and i pretty much by day six have learned more than what i'd learned in the six months before that i don't know how it is now but back then that was probably the best method i ever spent in my life in terms of like development um and then i was i was just like working at startups often for free um, just like getting experience working with different CTOs and other people alongside of me. Um, and then I joined a venture firm called Playfair Capital, um, right at the beginning of it's kind of like creation. It was effectively the incorporation of an angel investor, uh, kind of the GPs. Um, it just kind of, it was just doing too many investments. And I was only there for not even a year. And, um, I still saw about was that, when.
0: Was that back in London or?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was that was in London. Yeah, I, I yeah uh, back in London, um, a playfair capital. It was, it was uh, Federico uh, Persio Beruli who was the sort of uh, kind of founder of that, um, and um, that we, we kind of set up Warner Yard as well. If you've ever kind of gone by that, um, and actually one of the things we did really well as a firm uh, was effectively create um, a a bit like a WeWork, a small one, but just for investors, and so we had varying points, um, tens of early stage funds and investors that were all fighting for, at least searching for, and actually fighting is the wrong word. They were cooperating and syndicating uh, and co-investing alongside each other into early stage tech. So always pre-seed-seed deals. We were writing checks from, you know, 50 to $300,000 into round sizes of, you know, anything from those sizes to one, two, three million. Um, And actually, you know, pretty aggressive, pretty young team. Um, I got to learn loads of things from them, but also got to learn loads of stuff from the other people that were in that uh, kind of like co-investing space. Um, and it's definitely part of why my, uh, in a sort of my London and European kind of venture network is, is, is quite strong. Um, but yeah, so did a bunch of deals, saw a bunch of stuff. Um, I'd come across crypto as a developer kind of like before that anyway, but I just, I hadn't really got it. I didn't spend any time thinking about it. But when I was in, in, in venture, um, that's sort of when it became sort of a daily a daily thing that i was talking about daily and there were other investors in that room um some that do choose to remain much more private but that you know were just were on it really hard really early and have done very very well off the back of that but i've been thinking about it every day uh, kind of like since then
0: Wait, and when was that
1: yeah yeah so let me think so i i uh, i um i get, i was it was 2014 that i was a um uh, at Playfair. No, no, actually it was twenty thirteen, sorry. Twenty thirteen, not was it, was it was Playfair Capital. Um now unfortunately I don't have I mean so I think when twenty five I can remember we we were like looking at it and I think it was like you know single digit dollars Bitcoin was still so like between one and ten bucks mm-hmm. uh, when we were kind of when wow. we were kind of first around it. And um there were people again. There were people in that room that took took big tickets and done well. I, sadly, you know, you got to think my position, right? So I'm a, a venture fund trying to invest in the next wave of technology. I am a you know a finance guy, um, and I uh, have, have taught myself to code. And so you'd think that I should be in a pretty good decision, a, a position to make a good decision about right. betting on Bitcoin or something, right? And uh, I'm sorry, I have right. no miracle story. I have no miracle story of sticking, you know, even a hundred quid in.
0: Um, oh no
1: yeah it, no. was, it was a bit different i guess like um i uh I, I i kind of would like you know i'd saved a bit of cash whilst at ernst and young and i'd put that sort of invested all that in myself being able to learn and do these kind of courses and stuff and so like i didn't have much free free cash to be honest to even do personal stuff at that point so it was um you know i was i think i probably would have you know right. like chipped in a little bit of money but i didn't have the free the free cash flow so but i've been following it since then so 2013 literally it's been like a daily thing um I have to admit I had a, a small excursion into uh, into food, um, and I and I ran a, a kind of a full stack food delivery business for for, for just over two years um, called Pronto. Um, it's it's a very very different story, but I guess the short version here was that. You know, in my in my I guess unhumble humble and still you know protecting my ego view, we built you know probably the, you know the best food delivery experience in the world, and that's because we control the food, control the delivery, control the technology end to end. We just couldn't get it capitalised at, at our Series A, and it's it's a, again it's a long and a different story, but a lot of interesting lessons I I had you know the unfortunate um experience of having to effectively fire a hundred staff, you know, top to bottom on our, on our last day. And we, and we, and we, yeah, but it was an incredible company, incredible experience. Um, wow. uh, maybe a slightly unnatural place for me to be. Um, but then from the day that finished and that was, um, kind of like August, 2016, I've been full-time in back in this space. Um, just, just, just full-time and I've not literally done a thing since, uh, the kind of like that company, uh, kind of like went down and then um, again, this is telling. It's a kind of a long story, but I guess like it, it you know, I was actually originally looking at raising capital for uh, my own project in the space. Um, so doing something like an early, uh, an early ICO, and I, you know, do still often wonder the whether there was a there was a path there that may have been the right one. But um, I was looking at creating actually infrastructure for government revenue collection. So looking at could we create protocols or systems that could help automatically, sort of like collect tax at kind of like a global level and try and solve some of those problems that I kind of seen, or at least some of those problems I've been abusing at the beginning of my career, you know, whilst at, uh, whilst at, whilst at Ernst & Young. Um, you know, I created a deck for that back in, you know, Q4 um, 2016. Uh, but the shortest version here is I kept on being asked to help other people in the space, Uh, So whether that was, um, you know, investors, be it venture firms or family offices uh, in kind of helping them understand what was actually happening in the market. And if things were sort of starting to bubble at this point, um, particularly through kind of like, you know, uh, again, I was full time from effectively Q3 2016, but from Q2 2017 you know things were starting to look bubbly and it was kind of popping up on everyone's radars that maybe hadn't been following it for so long and so we effectively the reserve became i thought i founded the reserve uh which became in the beginning an advisory firm and the core of the work that we did over the first year was actually advising investors um on what was happening in the market and we spent an awful lot of time actually just trying to educate uh people to to understand what was happening, to due diligence the assets that were being issued, to work out whether the assets captured the fundamental value that the projects, you know, may have been capturing, we did that at quite a scale. I mean, we even ran about 150 events um, across 25 plus cities around the world. Um, again, all sort of, um, you know, never, never people coming and paying to pitch at those things to make those work. That was all again focused on providing value to investors. And actually, we used to joke, we're going around like, you know, we're not giving investment advice, let alone putting someone on stage. We're actually just sat there giving do not invest advice because the vast majority of the stuff was absolute <laughs> nonsense, right? Um, and so, a, yeah, an advisory firm in the beginning. and That's
0: then, actually a very valuable element.
1: Yeah. And, and then that just kind of spiraled and I guess like snowballed into um, – I guess, like what the reserve looks like a lot more now, which was, you know, we started investing our own capital. And so we do now, um, you know, write tickets ourselves at kind of the seed stage in this space. Um, we then also, um, for the first time in kind of Q4 last year, uh, we stepped more into the, you know, kind of like helping out on the kind of on the project side. Um, and I guess there's two kind of roles we play with projects. There's one is that we uh, help a lot on the, you know, I think it's quite broad, um, and I don't even like the word, for example, tokenomics. But we, you know, we we try and get involved with the economics and the governance of, of, of projects that uh, that want to listen, um, and we also get involved in some of the kind of the business development efforts. Um, and then actually, we are now regulated with the Financial Conduct Authority to. Manage and arrange deals and securities, and to also do some other things, which gives us flexibility in being able to, yeah, support projects in you know, in ways like, for example, support them with their fundraising. And yeah, we, we you know we did that for the first time uh, you know with right. a project called Dusk in Q4 last year, which managed to raise you know just shy of eight and a half million dollars as Ethereum literally you know the days that Ethereum fell through eighty dollars um in the in december last year so that, that was really good fun but i mean that's that's the shortest mm-hmm. story of um of like how we've got to kind of like where we are now and i guess that if you look at the reserve and you look at you know myself like we just we genuinely care about our industry like i think that the work that we're doing and the the technology that we're building is 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 really really important i genuinely believe that um we can mm-hmm. create a a better world that is run uh, on this stuff and not everything you know should be or could be or you know or will be run on this stuff right but systems of power systems of money systems of governance systems that need trust will be run on these technologies or at least the new versions of these technologies that we are that we're funding now and i think that i mean again for me i just i, I would couldn't be doing anything else i think it's awesome
0: right 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 that's 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 probably one of the most interesting diverse kind of backgrounds that I've heard of people in the industry so you started as an accountant then you moved to coding then VC then food delivery then I guess back into more of the investment side of things on the advisory side and kind of that's 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 pretty diverse
1: yeah if you excuse the food excursion I think it all makes a lot of sense and it seems very consistent for me um, but, um <laughs> you know but but like uh right right where we are
0: so you're both an accountant and a coder and a finance person.
1: Yeah, completely. And there's, there's all sorts of interesting experiences actually. Even with the, you know, it's the one thing I bring for the food is that we also did a, a an equity crowdfund um, you know, in the in the in the food business as well. And so it's interesting the learnings, you know, from you know it's, it's another topic maybe, but like we could dive into it. Is that you know we we think that we invented crowdfunding in like the last two years in this sector, but it's like Europe has had legislation to support. Equity crowdfunding for I think mm-hmm. eight years now, and you've had you know and you have companies like Cedars and CrowdCube that have led a, a, a charge in in that, and it's been happening for years. Yeah, and I think like this is something that we were really vocal about, you know, when the when in the ICO boom that it's like this is not people that care about backing, you know, the, the next wave of technology. These are these are gamblers and normal people that have been fueled by greed and a hope of a quick buck because if you want to look at the the class of people that really cared about backing innovative startups they were already investing on on Cedars and crowdcube and, and don't get me wrong I'm sure there was a new segment like there was a there was a genuine new tranche of 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 of, you know of individual investors that were brought you know that didn't realize you could do this before but it was but the vast majority of the activity was was nonsense which is why it was so quick to fall away because it never was really about backing you know doing proper providing venture type assets you know exposure to that to kind of everyday people it really was never about that and that's there isn't a single or at least there are very very few projects that can you know, swear on their on their family's life and say that the reason that they conducted an ICO was because they wanted to support the crowd. It was greed on all sides of that market. Um, and yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was interesting to be involved in equity crowdfunding before this wave came along.
0: Yeah, I guess you were ahead of your time a bit uh, in that respect. Uh, so, so kind of back to the reserve. So, uh, so you do fundraising, right? Fundraising in that you kind of advise the companies that you work with on ways to structure and, and, and raise financing. What else? Like, How should we be thinking about the reserve and the, I guess the portfolio of services that you offer?
1: Yeah, completely. So if I try and keep it simple, there's sort of uh, two things that we do. The first is fairly simple, that we do write tickets into seed stage companies. It's very rare uh, mm-hmm. that, that we write them. And I can talk more about our investment thesis uh, kind of like after I've done this. But one, we write tickets to the companies. And then two, we deploy uh small full-time teams to work in helping and support management teams execute particular things that matter and that can be quite broad and one of the things that that can be is that we can provide you know and you know myself i will deploy alongside you know the ceos that we work with to help on a fundraiser and we are regulated to do that Uh, and so it means that we can yeah we, we can actually yeah arrange and manage deals and talk with investors on behalf of a project but it's actually it's much much broader like we get involved uh, you know, to focus on that second part is that you know that kind of crack team that comes in. You know, we talk about the reserve being alliance, execution, and perspective in decentralized futures, and we think it honestly captures what we do unbelievably well. Alliance, because like when we do actually work with someone, like we commit fully we will we will do absolutely everything that we can to the last you know straw and the last dollar um, to deliver on what you know sort of we we led you to expect that that we that we could and then it's execution in perspective and that one we think mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. the space and we do think the way that we think about things and the knowledge that we have and our market view which tends to be effectively a combination of understanding the new with understanding how the all works, why and why it does, and it's that Venn, that overlap in that Venn diagram where we think there's a lot of magic, and it's that sort of it's that perspective that we bring, but it's ultimately execution. Like we don't just advise. Actually, now we we get our hands really, really, really dirty, um, particularly for like European management teams on the fundraising side. We think there's. Um, you know, like, again, use Dusk. Like, Dusk is an unbelievable project, uh, has an unbelievable management team, and there is some incredible technology kind of underneath there. Um, we, you know, that there are, you know, every team and every project has its weaknesses, and nothing is perfect. Um, but these guys, um, you know, were, uh, you know, were, 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 were yeah, we're just, we were, they were able to help in a lot of ways. But, like, if we look at some of the things we're helping on now, um, you know we help across from 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 branding we do a ton of kind of business development and partnership work um and that's typically all you know kind of like zero fee stuff where it's just you know we're we're happy to 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 work alongside these companies for for for, for no upfront kind of like front cost on this stuff um and it maybe falls back to the investment thesis and actually the investing that we do because i guess that we're writing Say hundred thousand dollar tickets um, at, at at seed stage, and I guess that I'd be interested to throw this back to you as well, Tom. And I think we can we we can see where we where our overlap here is, but it's like. You know, we believe um, we We believe in a future based on trust, and we believe in that. Still, we have not built the very best technologies, which are going to be running that decentralized future across Web three. And so, for us, we're yeah. still very interested in in the infrastructure layer that is going to support that world. Uh, we don't care, and we don't. Honestly, even look at uh, kind of like the, the the DAP level at this moment. We just don't think the technology is ready for the kind of real use cases that we would want to fund. And so, we're looking at kind of lots of different layers in in that kind of like web free stack. And we are looking to invest into uh, into management teams, into companies that we you know that we think are exceptional and kind of hit all the very normal things that a venture fund would be looking for. And it's kind of mm-hmm. funny because again i think we have similar views on that and maybe the market doesn't look at things in quite the same way right. but um we could go into that perhaps but if we look at things the way a normal venture fund would that would be to investing traditionally but then we layer on top of that um we look for projects that we you know uh, again are in that niche but also we think can benefit from the very particular network effects that we do think genuinely exist in this space and that have value creation which is attached to that so what i mean by that is that um uh, if there's um, you know a project which uh, does genuinely uh, kind of like do the do the rounds on on Reddit and Twitter, and it goes from having a community of you know of one hundred to ten thousand people, that actually having that community of people which are generally interested in the space and do care about building that you know that web free decentralized world actually adds value to that and a super basic example of that it's like okay if you're a protocol and you need mm-hmm. developers to be building things and working on your open source code then like if you have things which are interesting to those people and there's a you can benefit from the natural network effects which exist in this business we think there's an opportunity for for companies in this space to actually create sort of exaggerated venture returns and so, again, what I mean by that is I feel that if you're looking at a normal kind of like venture fund, you're typically deploying cash over, a, you know, say a two-year period with an expectation that you'll liquidate those positions over the next, you know, eight, maybe longer if you've got some unicorns that stay private for a while, right? And that's like a fairly long fund cycle, right? Just say 10 years. And I, and I think that, you know, the bulk of, well, the, bulk of the reward that comes uh, for, the, for those investments happens in the kind of like the tail end of that 10-year holding period. Um, I think what's interesting is that with our industry, uh, depending on the instruments, uh, I think there's an opportunity to have value creation happen uh, happen faster, um, and just have an exaggerated return profile where actually you might be able to get something more similarly in three to five years as opposed to say ten or more. Um, I think that you know, we're also kind of instrument neutral, so I guess that what we care about, and it goes back to the advice we used to give, and the kind of you know, through the events and through the through the uh, for the advisory work that we care about investing into an instrument that captures the value that the project is creating. So that means that we're flexible. That means that that could be an equity instrument. And so, you know, one example we invested in, you know, Radix, uh, Radix DLT. Uh, I think we committed a year and a half ago uh, in the in the kind of in the, in the seed rounds. Actually, that was a, that was a, co- a convertible, but it's an equity instrument. Whereas we're also happy to uh, invest into uh, into tokens, and so something we did recently was a uh, it was a company called Pocket Network, um, and they're they're completely different instruments. But with uh, how the projects um, designed and how they're delivering, um, we believe that the instrument kind of like captures value, um, and as long as there is no conflict in that value, mm-hmm. and one of the things that we hate is where there's like a you know, an equity vehicle that is being funded by some original investors, you know, two years ago, which is that is not on offer. And actually, what's being offered now mm-hmm. tokens with tokens with no value. And maybe there is some value in the tokens, but there's a clash. And like, you know, even like the basis of like, if you've got two entities, and maybe there's not two entities, there's different ways you can model this. But it's like, you often see these hybrid structures, right with, you um, Kind of uh, either like Delaware US corp, though it's less common in our industry because of the US uh, kind of the, the, the fear of the US. But if you look in the UK or Europe, you you would likely have like a UK company, and then you might have a foundation. And even if that foundation is Swiss or that foundation is, for example, like a UK company limited by guarantee or a trust, like the people and the directors which are running those have fiduciary duties they have like literally duties enshrined in yeah. the law which they have to perform and if they're not performing those then they can they can get in trouble Is the short version and we see that there are there are structures and there are founders which are on both sides of these tables with complete conflicts uh of interests that yeah. aren't just theoretical they're legal problems yeah
0: yeah so, so on that point kind of curious james would you so would you only get involved in projects that you also are planning or already, I guess, are investing into, or, or would kind of the reserve also advise some companies where you don't necessarily invest in? Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to kind of, you know, you know, is this a VC fund that's kind of like, I guess on steroids and, and does a bunch of others, you know, stuff on behalf of kind of the projects, uh, you know, you invest in or it's not necessarily both.
1: Yeah. So, so, so I mean, good question, Tema. I, I think that, um, you know, we like to think we're the most valuable money on the cap table. Um, and so I think that actually when we talk internally, we're definitely not a hedge. We can tell you things we're not. We're not a hedge fund. Uh, we do not trade. We have no idea how to play the markets. We value invest over significant periods of time, right? But actually, I do think we take more of like a private equity approach. And I guess like, look, I'm a, I'm a founder first. I am a founder and a CEO first, not an investor. And so I think we, we are always mindful and we never want to, Get in the way and be a be a pain in the ass, you know, kind of person on your cap table. But like, I think that we believe, and actually, we see, we see that we can add, you know, substantial value. And I, and I and I do honestly think that, and I hope over time for sure we will continue to prove that we're some of the most valuable money on, on the cap table. So, like, yes, look, we are. Uh, maybe a VC on storage is sort of the right way to look at it. Um, it's all our own money that we're deploying. It's kind of a little bit different as well. And typically, every person in the team is typically deploying mm. their own personal cash as well as the, our own balance sheet into each project as well so when we talk about alliance we often have a lot of skin in the game uh, kind of with, you know, with with each project that we are working with mm-hmm. and so we really care and we and we and we, and we really help so I, I don't know exactly how you would classify us but like i think that yes we tend to do fewer things and care about them um you know care about them a lot more and we're typically that we are if you look at uh, yeah you know like we're starting to we've been helping you know radix out a bunch of stuff right now and um Those relationships take a long time to evolve, and I don't know how long you think you take on average, Toma, from when you first meet a project or you first come across across a project. Like, what do you think, kind of like the average length of time it is or it will be between you meeting them and you actually writing them? You know, the the check out of your fund. Like, how long do you think that's going to be?
0: Yeah, in our case, it's actually pretty quick. Usually, we get a a pretty good sense very quickly. You know whether this could be something that interests us um, and whether it's also kind of in line with our investment thesis um, and if it is we start uh, doing our due diligence right uh, i guess like a typical uh, vc fund but uh, yeah it, it sounds like it is a bit different than uh, your model which i think is like super interesting because you're merging the i guess the vc and kind of the added value in investing into companies and obviously it sounds like you're super aligned also you're investing your own money but you don't stop there and you kind of take it a step beyond right which is uh, yeah which which is a very interesting model
1: i think there's i think this is also because, like, there's a lot of i mean i, I think you probably feel there's, there's a lot of false information in our sector there's a lot of bad practice which um is still replicated no. and people don't realize <laughs> it's bad practice <laughs> yeah and, and i think what's really interesting that founders don't appreciate is like people like yourself and us we get to see so many kind of like more instantiations of things happening like it's like particularly for us we get to talk we're fortunate to have relationships with with investors and we understand investor sentiment you know, kind of all from all across the world constantly kind of like every day and you know and you know we're always wary of founders that are kind of like constantly on the road doing the conference circuit right it's like who's actually creating the value <laughs> like are you actually building anything
0: yeah yeah yeah, totally.
1: yeah but, if, but if, if you're not doing that you might not have the most up-to-date market knowledge and again just a lot of the practices are, are just unnecessary i mean i'll give, I'll give like I mean, and even like then like it's interesting, it because like, there's lots you can learn from the old world and traditional ways of doing things, right? That even we were doing at Playfair Capital, you know, six years ago, whatever it was. Um, but um, it's kind of interesting because then, then, you know, there's lots of things we can learn. For example, the importance of maybe investor directors. Um, but there's other things where which which we do try and extrapolate. And so, for example, vesting of, of, of founders, um, we too try and bring. Uh-huh. Like, if you're looking at uh, founders, they're, they're typically vested on. In like yearly installments, or like if you have an employee stock option pool, they're typically vested, you know, year by year, and you might give subsequent grants to it, right? And this has been because, um you know, it, it, it's it, when you're vesting, you don't typically have liquidity. So like if there's a founder that's been working for four or five years and they vest 25% of their holdings or 20% of the holdings each year over that five years, they don't have an asset which is liquid, like you know seed series a so these, mm-hmm. these companies assets are like unbelievably illiquid right um and, and those founders typically won't have an option to liquidate these things even if it's invested to liquidate their holdings until you know until it's all the trade sale or the ipo when all the investors kind of exit in the
0: future right
1: but that's totally right right so, so,
0: so let's let, let, sorry to cut you off james so, so, so let's talk about that point for a second because I, that's really interesting and i I think we're very much aligned on a lot of things. I think here we might have slightly different thinking, right? I mean, in terms of governance, how teams kind of structure their uh, cap table and I guess align incentives. And I know you also alluded to that earlier. I think you talked about kind of a model where potentially, you know, investors get liquidity earlier than what we typically see in the venture model. So we'd love to kind of get your thoughts about what do you view as the ideal model of governance in this new world of crypto and blockchain? And how do you how do you make sure that it's aligned between the different stakeholders, right? The founders, the investors, the people who, you know, maybe retail investors who buy their utility tokens at some point. How do you think about that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of pieces in all of that. Um, look, I, I care about, things being aligned um and 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 ensure and i don't believe i believe that sadly people get corrupted and so i believe in putting the right precautions and practices in place such that people are effectively forced to be good actors, even if they were always going to be good actors in the, in the first place. Right. Um, and actually it's, it's a weird one. It's, it's, I haven't mentioned it at all yet, but actually we, have we've given away, we've pledged the whole of the reserve um, to, 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 to charity uh, as part of that, you know? So like, as we keep generating, hopefully a more impactful business and generate more wealth, actually, you know, we, we, we can't be corrupted because we've already given that away. But that's a side thing there. So, like, look, I, 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 the number one thing I care about is that when investors or when founders and projects are taking money off people, that effectively there are four potential outcomes. <laughs> um, they, they raise capital um, and, and the project is a success. And the investor makes a return. This is a good outcome and acceptable. The project can also be a success, and the investor can make no return because they've issued an instrument which has no value. That is an unacceptable return and has to uh, outcome and has to be avoided um, at, all, at all points. Um, yeah. There is a project can fail, and an investor can make money. I mean, this is you know, from my perspective, this is strange and irrational, but is okay. Um, And a project can fail and the investor can also make no money. And that is also completely okay. Like we are in a game and we're in a business of making uh, risky investments, which, you know, yes, there should be a high chance of failure and we shouldn't be blaming people unnecessarily when that does happen. So the question is, how do you ensure those sort of outcomes occur? And I think that there's, there's two maybe key things that I pick up on, which I don't think have happened enough of yet. Um, that i think can help ensure that those are the outcomes which 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 happen and i'd say that the first is um kind of investor directors and the second is proper vesting of of, of found the holdings of the projects and so on, the, on on the first one i think this is less um founders uh, kind of like founder led and more that there is a lack of there has been at least a uh less professional investors are in this space that have not been willing to kind of step up and take on the work I mean, even actually all you know icos were typically not led by an investor the terms were not set by an investor as would happen traditionally where that lead would typically also mandate that they took board seats and had a had a say in the governance of that project going forward, um, there was no one doing that. And so you had all these projects, raised all this capital with no representation of investors kind of like on the board. And so you had founders that could do anything with that money or anything with that project. And the investors, they could listen to them and try and maybe... You know, make them feel good because you know maybe sentiment mattered because of the market cap of those assets. But really, I I just do not think that's good Mm -hmm. enough. And there's lots of things which matter, which happen in the background, which projects do not know. Which is really important to have an experienced investor director step up and be on the board. And just, it just, it's so basic, but I think it's something which has been missing from this space. And and I think if it'd been there, I think we'd we'd have seen. (laughs) you know, projects which, are, for example, we're managing treasury better. Like, I do not believe any mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. any experienced board level, you know, investor that had, you know, had had their time in typical, you know, the typical venture industry would have let any of these projects gamble and keep 100% of their treasury in crypto. Like, it just never would have been the case. It, I, I just, you know, we've been advocating for liquidation of crypto when you've raised capital. For investors. Like, investors did not invest in you to be a hedge fund. They invested yeah. in you to to, to go up there and deliver these milestones. Now, if you do, if you raised ten times the capital that you needed to deliver those milestones, that was you should never have done that in the first place. And you and you should have limited your capital raise, in it more and raised a, a sensible amount of money. But yes, yeah, so like, look, look, so I, I believe investor directors still need to step up uh, and still need to do more, um, and we need to be forcing founders and projects to. Take proper representation on the board, and to think about things and do better governance in a more traditional sense. And then the second thing is uh, is investing, is where you know there are so many CEOs and founders uh, in this industry. Which you know, two sides of this: one, uh, they start a project and then they you know they they get rich and then they leave and start another project, and they don't stay the course. You know, and again, if you're venture investors like you and I, you know, a a two x or a three x. Isn't enough. That's like not a good job done. Like that's not like let's all go home and you know do what it is. Like that's like a failure, right? And it's like no, you've done the first step. You need to now stay the course for the next ten steps and turn that two free X into the one hundred X, right? And then you've done your job. And if you drop out in the way, it may be an unbelievable exit for a founder, uh, but but it's but it's it's but it's a you know it's a lack of it's just they're not they've not if you've taken investor money. You know, you have a duty to the to those investors. And I so I do not think founders should be allowed the the, the liquidity uh, until investors match their you know returns. And I think founders and investors should have more honest conversations. And I do think again, as an investor community, we have to push collectively founders to you know to, to tie themselves into these. Founders should not be getting rich and leaving and 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 letting someone else do this stuff. And the second part of that is that the number of founders in this space that like Run three projects, or advisors on on ten, and then also you know run a fund. It's insane. Like like the you know if you're building businesses which are changing the world, that requires a dedication and a, and a focus. And maybe this is opinionated, and I'd love to hear your view. But like I do not believe you can run seventeen things
0: successfully. So, hundred yeah. percent. No, hundred percent. That's my general view. Curious then, how do you so specifically kind of on the liquidity? I think we kind of both agree, right? Like founders shouldn't get rich before they deliver the certain return. And, you know, certainly if they've taken on outside capital, I guess, how do you prevent that from happening and at the same time provide liquidity earlier than typical venture model?
1: Good question. Um, I think it's the, it's, it's, this is where the conversation becomes important because it's like, I still believe you need venture size returns. And if those venture size returns come sooner because the projects achieved what it was setting out to achieve faster, then that's okay. I do think innovation is happening faster, you know, anyway. Um, I do also think, and this may not happen in, you know, in in our industry, but, you know, we will see, you know, the first one person company create a billion dollars of value in under 12 months. Um, you know the the the, the, the rate that you crank create value is, is increasing in, in, in my view, and so I, I don't think it, they're kind of incongruous with each other. What matters is that founders are not able to leave projects rich before they have achieved you know the the, the goals and returned the capital on the on the on the investors that they've taken, and that you know leaving a project halfway through with a free X like if you I mean leaving a project you should lose all your holdings um and maybe you'd have vested 25 percent or something two years in and um, you know the, the, the back will be standard like if, if, if you are a good lever as we would you know if you if you were a founder in a traditional venture-backed uh kind of firm you are typically going to have like two, uh, you're either going to be a good lever or a bad lever um if you get fired by the board you're a bad lever and you lose all of your holdings <laughs> um uh, if you're a good lever then when you leave you still lose all of your unvested holdings and so, like, if you were put on a five-year vesting schedule via your, your venture uh, by, by your investors or in, in the new round, because again, every time you're taking on capital, you are taking on and you are making people give you money in return for a commitment to to, to deliver a return on that over time, right? So five years is nothing, um, but it's like you know, if you, if you quit, you know, if you quit eighteen months in. One year is vested, and you can walk away with your 18 months' work, and you have that one year under the belt. And if you're a good lever, you lose all the rest of it, even as a good lever. And I think so, it's like a super basic thing. You know, we need better vesting, where vesting is not just, oh, okay, we're vested over five years and we get it gradually. The vesting is like, you know, if you are not fully dedicated to this project for the five years, you will lose your entire holdings <laughs> or, or at least the, the holdings on a curve, right? Um, and so, so, so I think for me, it's like if, if investors, and, and, and this all comes back to investors, directors, like if the investment agreements that these projects are getting funded around Become more suited to their purpose, they will start including things like good or bad levers. And the fact that it's a token or it doesn't matter. All of the token should just be seen as a digitization of a certain set of rights, right? And what we as investors need to ensure is that we're investing into instruments which have rights and rules that not only have value but have protection. And actually, it's the protection which gives them value. Whether it's voting rights or it's like investor consents, which means that we have to approve the million-dollar purchase of the yacht. But like these are basic things, but it's like it comes back to these investment agreements and to you know the the, the contracting of, of, of and, and when we exchange this money and we put these money into the projects that it's done on the right terms because like, yeah I, I do think that you there is no inherent conflict with potentially a faster return profile for venture investors, and there's no inherent conflict with there being a uh, you know liquid assets and you know and, and founders being locked up and held to account to, to you know to execute on the promises they gave for these people giving millions of dollars to them
0: yeah yeah i think where i see sometimes uh, I, I hear you i guess i see uh, where i do see and i sounds like we agree on that point unless you know correct me if i'm wrong where i do see sometimes you know conflict of interest is where you have s- certain projects where you know, they structure basically their offering as a utility token, right? Whereby, let's say, the investors invest over a 12-month period and, you know, the founding team like within 36 or 48 months period. But after that period, right, whether it's like, you know, three or four years, the founders basically get all their utility tokens. And at that point, assuming it's liquid, right, they can sell it, make a nice profit, and the investors might not have seen the return that they have expected. But sounds like we agree that that's really not an ideal situation and shouldn't be the way to structure deals moving.
1: Yeah. On. So the nuance there, right? The nuance there, term is that like you know, if you just copy the the existing kind of the traditional way of doing things and map it onto here, um, you can protect for the kind of the four or five years. But there's a re- additional reality in the real world where it's like, okay, so you leave your firm four years in, but it takes another six years for um for the exit to actually happen, right? And in, in that 10-year life cycle of that company. And it, you know, IPOs are at trade sales 10 years in. And so even though the founder left fully vested four years in, there's still six years where they don't get any liquidity and they don't get rich. So so I think what's interesting is that the the you know when you map that across to our world, actually they do leave four years in, they're fully vested. They can sell their stuff if the instrument is 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 on the market. And I think that what I care about here, and I'm not sure it's, I'm not sure it does, it, it, it solves the whole problem though, Tom. But what I, what I care about here is that, you know. One, I mean, utility tokens in 99.9% of these scenarios have no value. (laughs) But if there is a utility token which has value Mm -hmm. and founders have that and it is liquid, then my view is that it should be effectively normally the only asset which is there. And it's the asset that the investors have invested into as well. And so the investors should have had, in my view, even earlier liquidity than the founder. So I'm not sure this is good enough. But in the very least, if the founder has liquidity, the investor should have had liquidity first. Um, and you know, there still seems to me there to be a challenge as well. I think where you know because maybe the the, the, the because of the nature of our industry and the and the fact that actually returns can be generated sooner than actually projects can reach kind of like fruition. That maybe we need to again. This is about implementing longer vesting schedules for founders, potentially. Um, or mm-hmm. you
0: know, it's
1: difficult to make vesting schedules align to milestones. But um, I mean, again, I, I think that if the founders and the investors should be in the same instrument, and there should be no additional instrument that a founder has which allows them to to to, to get out of something that that investors do not. Um, I think there could still be an inherent problem there, uh, which which what we're saying doesn't quite solve. Mm-hmm.
0: But um, yeah, difficult. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. I tend to agree that probably we can find a way to improve the process, I guess, compared to the way it's been done for decades now. But I haven't seen really a model yet that solves that, right? Because I I hear you on kind of the six years in and, you know, to the IPO and, and all that. Problem is, right? You know, as an investor, usually, you know, you'd like to meet with the leadership team, right? And oftentimes, certainly if you're investing early stage, such as yourself, that that is the key driver in making decision, right? Like you think the CEO is brilliant or you think the CTO is just, you know, outstanding. If they can live um, well before, I guess, an IPO or any other um, exit scenario, that could create some, in my mind against some misalignment between the investors and the and the founders.
1: No, I I agree, Tony. No, I agree. I mean, uh, you know, there's another one. I, I don't. I think you met these guys, but uh, Key Foundation, the two founders, Redder and KK, were like the number one reason we got interested in that business in the in the beginning. Um, it's like, and it's so to do with the founders because mm-hmm. at this early stage, you don't yeah. have much more. Yeah, you, know, you really don't. And, and like, and like, exactly. You know, again, the key founders are exactly unbelievable like you know with key the the founder has had multiple exits previously and you know is is very very dedicated to this and it's not about financial return to them but like that even that's you know potentially dangerous right because you need to ensure that you know they they need to be you know to be obligated not beyond reason or beyond health whatever it is they need to be obligated to do their duty to to those investors they've taken money from and so i i you know i I agree with you completely it comes down very much to the individual at this earlier stage stuff and you back people that you believe can go and execute on these things And so if they do you know if, if they drop out three years in I mean put it this way like I, I believe that all the things that we're backing are, are businesses that you know are, are not are going to deliver value beyond the next three beyond the next five years right we, we see that they have a path over the next 10 hmm. 25 years to be delivering value kind of like in mm-hmm. the world. And I think, like we're, again, we're trying to you know, to work with those companies at that infrastructure level that we do think will be the, the winners in their category at what they do, or they might have to innovate or pivot and continue to improve on what they have, but they'll be the winners in their category and that they'll be around as a cornerstone of that you know, of that web-free decentralized future. And that, that is not a three or a five-year journey. You know that is a, that is very much so a twenty five year journey, and I and I hope and I guess like, again, it's slightly when you're backing people that maybe they're not going to be there for twenty five years, but I think that we are absolutely you know uh, expecting and hoping those uh, you know those those key members of the team that you are investing in, you know, to be there for the course of that journey, um, and that might not be twenty five years, and I don't think we would we would expect that, but it but it's definitely to a point where. You know the project has reached an absolute maturity, and you know, and there's a pro- if there needs to be a handover, there's a coordinated handover which is done properly, and you know a succession plan put in place, and it, and the reins are handed over properly. But I, I I think it's you know if it happens three years in, it's because the management team you know was not the right management team to lead a company through a different stage of growth, and that happens right as well. You know you can back incredible people which you believe are excellent, and they are they and they are exceptional at getting something from you know zero to one or from like pre-seed seed through to series a but actually the skills that you need you know to run and lead businesses whether that's ceo or cto from like a series b through to like ipo stage company are completely different and then the skills that you need to run a public company and that's another interesting conversation um the plus, the fact that we're creating public companies so soon in their journeys but like is a whole different yeah, skill set yeah. as well so like so this is this, this is a sad bit that maybe some entrepreneurs you know aren't able to stand the course of that but it seems to me that like if they are you know if they're selling promises and they're they're taking the capital from um you know from 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 investors that you know they have a duty to to do as they can um and, and to ensure yeah so it really is about the people at the stage that we're involved it's all about the people which makes it even more important for us
0: yeah yeah makes perfect sense so i guess last two questions james First of all, I feel like you have like a really good perspective on, you know, what's going on in the market and certainly teams at the earliest stage, basically, where they're just figuring out their um, go-to-market plan and how they're going to get funded and so forth. You talked earlier about um, your investment thesis and your focus on infrastructure. How do we get the most adoption of crypto, right? Like, how long do you think it's going to, are we really far from it? And also, like, what's holding us back? Like when will we start seeing Bitcoin or or any other cryptocurrency being widely used? Just curious to to get your take on that. Yeah,
1: so I think there's, I think there's three macro categories here. (laughs) four maybe even i'm making this up on the spot in a way but bitcoin is its <laughs> own special entity right bitcoin is, and I yeah, think bitcoin yeah. has its should have its own way of valuing it its own way of looking at it, it will have its own independent future of the rest of the technology in the space that we're gonna i think it, it's an incredible achievement bitcoin and i think it has a it has a bright future um but but park um park bitcoin um i don't think you've um uh, Oh, I say that, and I've now even uh, forgotten. So yeah, what's going to create get us to mass adoption, right? Um, there's, then a, there's then a potential currency. There is a potential de-sovereign... Bitcoin, I do not believe, will be a currency. I do believe it will continue to act more like a commodity and a store of value and a, and a potential store of wealth. I do think it is like our digital gold. That's that's my view. I do think there is room for a de-sovereign uh, currency, a global currency, um, which you know has basically, you know, zero cost transactions, you know, peer to peer transactions with no intermediary, uh, instantaneous globally, like I believe someone can create that. And I believe that, um, you know, that is a is, is this, but I think I my perspective is there's one winner of that as well, I don't believe in kind of like a, a 100,000 currency kind of like, uh, ver- you know, version of the world, though, you know, there's more nuance to that, but in the interest of time, um, then I believe there's like tokenization of all these kind of like basic things like equity or, uh, or, you know, normal stocks, just tokenization of normal things that have value. And then I think that there is um, uh, kind of just all the other activity that's happening. And I think that like for category three of like tokenization of like normal assets, like people do not need to know that it's happening on Web3. Um, and for and for most of like if we're building you know wallets that are dealing with crypto etc. Again, I, I think largely that success is going to come when people do not realise that it's um, uh, that, that it's crypto or whatever we call this space underneath the surface. They need unbelievable user experiences which just work and just deliver value to them, which is you know ideally an order of magnitude better than the currently centralized version of this, right? And I think that until we're at that point. Like, because Joe public cannot be, and I don't think should be expected, really, to 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 care about what technology sends their US dollars from one side of the world to you know to, to 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 the other. I think we have to we have to mask all of this, create unbelievable user experiences, and I think that when we've done that, that's when things will come through. But I think if we look at limiting factors, I do honestly think that there are. There've been significant limiting factors and constraints just in the core technology. Like I, I, I we spend a lot of our time also, you know, with 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 corporates. Um, and I didn't talk much of it, but a lot of the beginning work of the Reserve as well was at the, was on the corporate side. And like, um, we've not we've not we've not done paid work for them, but like, you know, Accenture and IBM are people that we talk with regularly, for example. Uh, and you know, like, the, the, there is so much. Uh, so many things which have been tried and tested around the world, which are actually held back by a scaling challenge, that actually anyone that's doing anything significant, you know, or has a has an app which is used by a significant number of people, can't really put that on to anything in our space because stuff just breaks at any kind of sensible volume, or you're running it on a you know on on a less than perfect uh, kind of like network, right? And I'm not going to you know call out any names here, but I would say that most of the networks mm-hmm, that are running at better mm-hmm. scales have very, very, very significant centralization problems <laughs> um, to say the least, yeah. Right, like uh, like very, very significant centralization problems. So, um, so yes, yeah, so, like I think, I think like there's been, I think the scaling challenge needs to be solved again. It's, it's another plug, but like, you know, we, we, we backed Radix a year and a half ago and I've been working with Piers, the CEO for two years because like, we still think that they've built the best technology in the in, in the world, and it does solve that that problem. You know, we uh, and it's, it's the same with like, like with Pocket, we back Pocket because again we believe in a Web three, and it's like that for us is a you know building companies in this space now is like and this is another inhibitor and another constraint, right? Like if you want to build. Um, an app now it's like building pets.com back in you know the early 2000s where you spend so much time and money building servers and architecture and then you get to build pets.com at the end of it right now you know amazon web services and other cloud providers and infrastructure providers came along to make it super easy such that you spin up some stuff and then you spend your entire time just building pets.com. Right now, we're having to do all the crap that was before AWS in the blockchain world. Yeah, and Pocket Network. us definitely doesn't exist. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, so this is a so Pocket Network for us was something we got involved because it's like an AWS layer for all the blockchains in our space. And like, okay, so it's, if, this is talking about how things fit into our kind of thesis, but it's like these were real constraints for people building and using this stuff. And we have, you know, and, and we are funding, you know, those things. I mean, it's, it's it, you know, I'll, 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 you know, to, to round it off, I'll say it as well, because it, it matters. Like, again, we really, really believed in a decentralized stack. And we think that really all we've achieved as an industry, although I do think it's remarkable, what we've achieved over the last 10 and a half years is pretty much creating fairly centralized, you know, uh, plutocratic networks that run on... AWS, uh, which run on a centralized kind of like internet infrastructure. Um, and I think that we've got so much to improve in all of that. And we are trying to tackle things at every layer. In you know, Radix at that protocol layer, kind of at like Pocket, both at the kind of like helping protocols run full nodes and also with the app developers building on top of them. And even with Key Foundation, that's about, okay, if we really care about decentralization, just having properly decentralized networks running on top of our you know the infrastructure which is controlled by governance is not good enough and so we need to start funding alternate entirely alternate internets and you know and key as i don't know if you come across but as is is a mesh network so like we really care about web free and we do think mm-hmm. that some of those things like scalability have been limiting factors for um, uh, you know, for for, 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 for rural adoption, because there was a there was a, there was a ton of people that you know. I do think when it's when it's proven that you can happily run millions of transactions reliably on a decentralized network kind of each day, and that not be a problem. I think there is a queue of people that are actually there with use cases to put them on chain, but it's just got to come at the right cost and effort, and we're just not quite there yet.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, so last question, James, before we wrap up, um, is there any kind of particular category maybe even like within infrastructure that you're most excited about just curious your take you know a lot of people obviously over the past year have been very bullish about stable coins for instance as a category there's a lot of there's been a lot of talk about decentralized exchanges not really materialized just yet i think in terms of usage um, and tbd whether you know that's going to happen. Moving forward, curious if there's any like one or maybe more categories in particular that you're uh, excited about.
1: So, I mean, I've, I've I've spoken about why we did you know key pocket and radix, and that was about what we believe is the best technology at the kind of the protocol layer, the kind of like the tooling layer, are kind of around that to make it easier things to build on, and then at like the the core internet layer in in in, in, in kind of key, um, you know. So like, look, I think that. Um, I could say things like, for example, like stablecoins. We've not been kind of too interested yet. Like for us, that's almost like a, it's almost like a dap on top, and we still think that things think that things are not kind of ready for that kind of like yet. Um, uh, for, for DEXs again, like yeah, not not. I think I think dexes are important, um, but I think I need to see better combinations of um, of regulatory and compliance uh, alongside kind of you know dexes that are there um' uh, I'm trying to think, like, what do we think? I think, like, something that I'm hoping we get to uh, to work more on this year are kind of like, you know, some decentralized AML KYC kind of like networks or identity networks. I think that some of the players that have come so far are going to absolutely not best in class. So I, I do not think the winner is anywhere near there yet. But we've got some stuff in the pipeline that. Yeah, we think is really really interesting, and I think that'd be super interesting. But I mean, look, I, I think that you know, I, I don't think that Key Foundation, I think, is one of the most important and unique companies that we that we that we work with, and it's it's about creating a you know a mesh network or a global decentralized, completely redundant and robust to censorship to shut down you know alternate internet, right? And like. I think that it's not just going to be key. I think there's going to be a number of players um, that like innovate and build out that robust and hopefully cooperate together to build out a safer, you know, web free or a more reliable web free for everyone. And I think that's one of the most interesting things. And I think that that hasn't even got started. Like, I really think that, you know, that, and so that, that's super interesting as, as a space. And so I think that we will be focused on on infrastructure for, you know, the next few years um yeah, yeah, yeah I, I, so I, I think there's so much work to be still done uh, kind of in, in that space at the de- at the deepest end of that infrastructure particularly, I think there's a long, long way to go and there will be investment opportunities for you know for, 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 for and a lot of work uh, opportunities a lot of work for the, for a long time to come.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I mean the space is just fascinating right and we're only getting started. There's so many opportunities moving forward for sure. Thanks so much for um, for doing this. Um, really enjoyed the conversation. Um, so really appreciate you coming on.
1: Yeah, thank you. I Again, mean, I think it's a good conversation. I think there's things that we've uh, happened to cover there which uh, are not spoke about enough. Um, so yeah, pleasure to talk. Um, thank you for having me.
0: Thanks for listening. If you like this episode of The Blockchain VC and want to help us bring more awareness to the space, I'd really appreciate it if you can rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. This only takes a few seconds and helps us get the word out.